strange stories of peculiar people and extraordinary events throughout history. This is Notorious Narratives. Oh, hello. Welcome. This is Notorious Narratives. I'm Jen. And I'm Robin. And tonight, I'm going to tell you a story. This is the story of a woman of unusual character, born outside of her time. If you told me that she got left behind by Doctor Who, I would believe you. Is her name Jennifer? Just just ask. (laughs) She was born without the typical constraints of a woman of her time and set out on a life less ordinary than her contemporaries. This is the tale of Victoria, California, Claflin, Woodhall, Blood, Martin. That's her full name? She had a lot of fucking names. Her name is Blood? Blood is one of them. But she is primarily known as Victoria Woodhall. Victoria California Clayfin was born on September 23rd, 1838. She was born the seventh of ten children, born in a small frontier town called Homer, Ohio. Her father, a man named Reuben Buckman Clayfin, was a con man who came from an impoverished branch of a Massachusetts-based Scottish-American Clayfin family. She in California as a name. She's from Ohio. There's another kid named Tennessee. Just, it's cool. Nice. Just strap in. Okay. All right. Victoria was very close with her sister. Tennessee Celeste Clayfin, who she affectionately referred to as Tenny, <laughs> though my autocorrect says tennis. Do you think they were named after the states that they all got conceived in? Maybe. Who uh, knows? I'm going to call her California because you know that wild night in California. <laughs> I mean, I can't tell you 100%. I don't know. But I mean, 1830s is a, it's a hard trek to California. Yeah, but if they were like seven years apart, yeah. Yeah, but the kids are coming constantly. Yeah. I mean, I guess there, if there's like California, Nevada, Tennessee, Kansas, it's a Tennessee. Line. You're, you're in a region. Could be. Could be. Maybe you're right. Though Tenny was the youngest of the ten and seven years younger than Victoria, they shared a special bond. Woodhull did not receive a formal education. State-mandated education wasn't the norm in the early to mid-1800s, and school was usually reserved for the wealthy. Poor families needed all of their children to work for a living. Because of Woodhull's lot in life, that is to say that her mother was illiterate and her father was a con man, she only received three years of formal education at the Methodist Church School. She was forced to leave this school, and the family was forced to leave the town of Homer after her father burned the family's rotting gristmill to the ground. When he tried to collect on his insurance policy, his arson and fraud were discovered. Boy. Born into this poor and eccentric family, Victoria Clayfin traveled with her sister, Tennessee, in a family medicine and fortune-telling show. From an early age, Victoria showed promise as a fortune-teller and a clairvoyant. She reportedly started having visions when she was 10 years old, and her sister, Tennessee Clayfin, also said that she had premonitions. Tenny. I like to when you call her Tenny. Tenny. I know. I thought that was cute. Yeah. Woodhull's mother was a follower of the burgeoning spiritualist movement, and she and her husband pushed the girls to go on the traveling circuit so that they could earn money for the family. On the road, they told fortunes and held seances. Woodhull worked also as a magnetic healer, helping the sick and injured with a series of healing magnetic devices. This was a valuable skill for a poor family that generally subsisted on the pitiable income of her father's cons and special elixir sales. That's still still being done today. Magnetic bracelets and little earrings and all that stuff. True story. From childhood, Victoria maintained that she was guided by and protected by the spirits, who occasionally let her visit a utopian world in heaven, unlike the chaotic, miserable world in which she lived. Most of her youth was spent traveling with the family and performing from town to town. In my head, I imagine that, like, wagon Mm -hmm. from Wizard of Oz. Yeah. 
Like the guy who sold the medicines out of the mm-hmm. back. With the giant with the giant door. It's yeah. a regular sized door in the back of the wagon. You just open it up. The signage for the advertisement. Yeah. Come and get your elixirs here. Roll up the side. In 1853, at the age of 15, in order to escape her father's brutality, Victoria eloped with Canning Woodhall, a patent medicine salesman who also claimed to be a doctor. Licensing requirements for physicians at the time were non-existent or loose. Like, very, very loose. Hey, I'm a doctor today. If you say you're a doctor, you're a doctor. And if you say something's a medicine, it's medicine. And at the time, patent medicines were, that was the big thing. It was like, you call it a patent medicine saying that it's patented by the government and that it's different and unique from other types of medicines that are being sold. But in reality, it's usually <laughs> some sort of, yeah, it's usually yeah. liquor mixed yeah. with like morphine or. <laughs> and some type of herb. Ether, right, and some yeah. sort of herb or oil. The only reason why it was patented is because it was first of its kind. Doesn't mean it's correct. Well, even though they said they were patented, there were no laws that said that if you put patent on the label, that it actually must be patented. Huh. So people just put that it was patented. And it gave it a certain sense of... Um, oh, wow, this is good because it's patented. A certain sense of validity that was certainly not earned. Victoria soon learned that her new husband was an alcoholic and a womanizer, Mm. and she often had to work outside the home to support the family. While the family lived in San Francisco, it was said that Woodhall reportedly worked as a topless waitress to make ends meet for the family. They had two children, Byron, who was developmentally delayed, and Zulu, or Zula, Maud, whose delivery was so badly botched by her father that she nearly bled to death. Oh, my God. Some doctor. I'm guessing he did something fucking stupid with the umbilical cord. But just guesses. Zula Maud? Zula Maud. I really like that. I like the name Maud. Yeah. Anyway. In 1860, the Woodhulls moved to New York City, where her family and her beloved sister, Tenny, were already living. It was here in New York that Victoria and her sister, Tennessee, set up practice as mediums. In 1864, in search of new clients, the Woodhulls and Tenny moved to Cincinnati and then to Chicago traveling to keep ahead of the complaints and legal proceedings that followed their false claims. In Ohio, Tenny was charged with manslaughter. Whoa. Where, yeah, when her supposed treatments failed to cure a patient of breast cancer. Tenny! Spirits are just not medicine. Mm-mm. I mean, I mean, granted, I, I think your chances of survival of breast cancer in 1870 were slim to zero. So enjoying your elixir drink or your magnet medicine, like, if it gave you a little hope and a better day probably fine i mean at that time you're actually lucky that they even diagnosed it correctly how did they even <laughs> diagnose breast cancer yeah. then? <laughs> over the years victoria grew more intolerant of canning's drinking and womanizing and of his occasional beatings and he became less and less connected with the family soon canning essentially deserted victoria and the children coming home only for money after 11 years of marriage victoria divorced canning in 1864 Likely it was during her troubled marriage that Victoria Woodhall became an advocate of free love. The idea that a person has the right to stay with a person only as long as they choose and that they can commit to another person or a relationship whenever they decide that it's time to move on. Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Segal. And I'm Kurt Sutter. And welcome to our new podcast called Pi, People, Influences, and Experiences. Yes, it's sort of the... uh get to know you at a deeper level, the who, what, when, where, and why you are, rather than what it is you do. Absolutely. We're not going to talk too much about what people do. We just want to know about their families, where they come from, you know, what shapes their parenting if they have kids, what shapes their marriages if they're married. 
We just want to be really nosy. We want to get in there. A deep dive into nature and nurture. And we started it because there are a lot of people that we don't know that we are curious about. Right. And I have no friends, so for me, it's, you know. Try like, to get them out of the house. Listen to it on whatever you listen to. <laughs> Podcasts on yeah, podcast your, 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 your podcasting apparatus. Watch it on the YouTube. He's aging himself. Women in the 19th century had few options to escape a bad marriage. Divorce was considered scandalous, and women who divorced were often ostracized by society. Mm-hmm. But my girl Victoria didn't give a fuck. Yeah, Vicky. Uh, <laughs> Woodhull believed that women were completely equal to men and that the inequalities of the time were unfair. Woodhull met Colonel James Harvey Blood. That's where the blood comes from. That's where like, the blood I'm comes from. waiting for that. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Colonel Blood. <laughs> I'll take cool names for 100, Jebeck. I mean, I think you've won it. His... Oh, my God. Who is Colonel Blood of the Union Army in Missouri for 100, Alex? <laughs> Woodhull met Colonel James Harvey Blood, who had served in the Union Army in Missouri during the Civil War. Blood was a courteous and educated man who also believed in the doctrine of free love. He and Victoria are said to have married in 1866, though there is no official record of their marriage. They're married in their minds is all that matters. I mean, does it really matter? I, I mean, mean, what is it? Um, it's a piece of paper and it costs a lot of money to get out of. What's it called? Common law marriage? In 1868, Woodhull and Blood settled again in New York City with her sister and other family members. Woodhull opened a salon where the brightest and most articulate radicals of the day would meet to spar intellectually, and it was there that she gained fame as a gifted conversationalist. Stephen Pearl Andrews and Massachusetts congressman and former Union general in the Civil War, Benjamin Butler, who were both sympathizers of the free love and women's rights movements, became her close friends and confidants. Victoria also became more interested in women's rights and women's suffrage, or the right for women to vote. In New York City, Woodhull and her sister, Tenny, became spiritual advisors to 76-year-old Cornelius Vanderbilt, Mm. nicknamed the Commodore, who was a wealthy railroad magnate whose wife had just died. The sisters served as mediums to help him contact the spirit of his dead wife, and he also used their talents to gain financial insights from the spirit world. Vanderbilt then went on to bankroll Victoria and Tenney's financial ventures on Wall Street, where they began to make money in the stock market. He assisted them in opening their own brokerage house, Woodhull, Clayfin, and Company, in 1870, and made a fortune at the New York Stock Exchange. With Vanderbilt's backing, the two sisters went from traveling fortune tellers to Wall Street stockbrokers, opening the first brokerage headed by women. Woodhull and Clayfin quickly became known as bewitching brokers, and were very successful. Following stock tips from Vanderbilt, as well as coming up with many of their own, the two made millions. The New York Sun announced the firm's opening with the headline, Petticoats Among the Bovine and Ursine Animals. (laughs) And the sisters did quite well by taking advantage of the hitherto untapped source of investment capital which was women. Widows, teachers, actresses, and even prostitutes and madams came to the firm, which featured a women's-only back room for private discussions. With their profits, the sisters were able to not only afford an expensive Manhattan apartment, but also to bankroll their political aspirations. Many contemporary men's journals public... Nope. Many contemporary men's journals published sexualized images of the pair running their firm, but Susan B. Anthony applauded the arrival of women on Wall Street. 
Victoria Woodhull worked under the assumption that women's ability to earn money is better protection from the tyranny and brutality of men than their ability to vote. I mean, is she wrong? No. Throughout history, what is the one thing that women never have? Financial independence. Mm -hmm. So women have long been kept down primarily by the lack of financial independence and professional opportunities. So since they're not able to make a living outside the home and their whole work is to create a home... They and if that home's taken um, taken away from her. Taken away from them or just taken advantage of mm. by the tyranny of a man, you know. I mean, I can see at the time where that is spot the fuck on. She's like, uh, voting's cool, money's better. Mm-hmm. On May 14th, 1870, Woodhull and Clayfin used the money that they had from their brokerage to start a newspaper called Woodhull and Clayfin's Weekly which was published for the next six years. The newspaper addressed issues that concerned women with unusual frankness and advanced the editor's visions that women could live as men's equals in the workplace, the political arena, as well as the family circle. With this venture, Woodhull demonstrated her ability as a married mother of two to successfully engage in business. The paper promoted women's suffrage and labor reform and announced Woodhull's candidacy for president of the United States. Holy shit. It also became notorious for publishing controversial opinions on taboo topics, advocating, among other things, for sex education, free love, short skirts, spiritualism, vegetarianism, and licensed prostitution. There you go. The newspaper quickly evolved into a radical political, economic, and social open forum that shaped Woodhull's budding reform crusade. The 16-page weekly publication exposed stock swindles, insurance fraud, and corrupt congressional land deals, but that did not stop more reputable brokerage firms and banks from advertising on the weekly's front page every week. So they were just getting money from, like, really intense, like, advertisers. Right. So they're getting good money coming in from advertising, even though what they're saying is a little bit risque. She was also a supporter of the International Working Men's Association, which was an organization of leftist thinkers run by run by the supporters of Marxism. The group, with its first international, started in London and quickly opened up branches throughout Europe and in the United States. Woodhall was a member of the special women's section of the association. And she published articles supporting the group's socialist cause in her newspaper. A year after she set up shop on Wall Street, Woodhull addressed the House Judiciary Committee on behalf of women's suffrage. Her lecture on constitutional equality attracted thousands. Learning of Woodhull's address, suffrage leaders postponed the opening of the 1871 National Women's Suffrage Association's third annual convention in Washington in order to be able to attend the meeting. Woodhull argued that women already had the right to vote. All they had to do was use it. Since the 14th and 15th Amendments granted that right to all citizens, gender was not specified in either amendment. A popular quote from our Lady Vicky. If Congress refuses to listen to and grant what women ask, there is but one course left to pursue. What is there left for a woman to do but become the mothers of the future government? Vicky, Vicky, Vicky. (laughs) She's like, you guys are going to be D-bags. How about we're just going to go ahead and have a whole bunch of kids and teach those kids to act right and be nice to women. And then those kids are going to grow up and they're going to be like, yeah, of course women can vote. And that's exactly what the fuck happened. Anyway, newspapers reported her appearance before Congress. Frank Leslie's illustrated newspaper printed a full page engraving of Woodhull surrounded by prominent suffragists as she delivered her argument. Woodhull catapulted to the leadership circle of the suffrage movement with her first public appearance as a women's rights advocate. Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, 
and Isabella Beecher Hooker saw Woodhull as the newest champion of their cause. But others were a little more skeptical. Uh, those including Lucy Stone, also a women's suffrage activist, and two sisters of Isabella Beecher Hooker, author Harriet Beecher Stowe, and writer and teacher Catherine Beecher. These two Beecher sisters were especially horrified. <laughs> Sorry. I know. These two Beechers. <laughs> They're totally Beechers. You're about to see how much Beechers they are. So. Sorry. Yeah. These two Beecher sisters. Oh. These two Beecher sisters were especially horrified by Woodhull's advocacy of the doctrine of free love. In fact, Woodhull frequently fought rumors that she was a prostitute. She wasn't one as far as historic evidence can tell, but she did support legalized prostitution. That was just a part of her free love philosophy that pointed out the negative effects of monogamy. Woodhull was upset by the fact that women in New York City were arrested for prostitution and even centered part of her presidential campaign around legalizing it. However, she was up against a very prim and proper Victorian society, as well as the new Comstock Act, which made it difficult to obtain materials that were deemed obscene. Victoria Woodhull had announced her candidacy for president in 1871. It would be 50 years before women were actually given the right to vote, but there was no law preventing a woman from running for office. She was nominated for president of the United States by the newly formed Equal Rights Party on May 10, 1872, and her nomination was ratified at the convention on June 6th of 1872. They also nominated the former slave and abolitionist leader Frederick Douglass for vice president, though he never acknowledged that he the nomination. Was, <laughs> that he was with the women. Yeah. Uh, I'm not surprised. <laughs> While many historians and authors agree that Woodhull was indeed the first woman to run for president of the United States, some have disagreed with classifying her as a true candidate. And here's why. She was younger than the constitutionally mandated age of 35. Today, this is the most cited criticism by political analysts. She did not receive any electoral votes or popular votes. Official election returns show about 2,000 scattered votings, but it is unknown whether those votes were cast for her or for somebody else. Three, she was a woman. Some of Woodhull's contemporaries believed that, as a woman, she was not a full citizen. Huh. And, therefore, she is not entitled to vote. And since the Constitution required that the president be a citizen, she would be excluded from holding the office. So... She definitely ran for president, 100%. But was she ever a f an official candidate? Probably not. I mean, just the age alone. Like, if you're without any of the other more... Um, what was that bullshit about how, like, because she's a woman, she's not even... Not a full citizen. Right. During that time, it was still very much thought that a woman was the property of her husband. Mm -hmm. So she was a thing. She wasn't... I got it. Super fucked up. Unfortunately, her support for Marxism damaged her reputation after she began her presidential campaign. She was already a controversial public figure, but her connection to the group just made things worse. Having been vilified in the press for her support of free love, Woodhull devoted an issue of Woodhull and Clayfin's Weekly, uh, which was published on November 2nd, 1872, to a detailed account of an adulterous affair between a parishioner, Elizabeth Tilton, and Reverend Henry Ward Beecher, a prominent Protestant minister in Brooklyn. Beecher was the brother of the Beecher sisters. Oh, the other Beechers, yeah. Got it. While he was a supporter of female suffrage, he condemned Woodhull's free love philosophy in his sermons whenever he had the chance. 
A national fervor erupted over the story, and U.S. Marshals arrested Woodhall, her husband James Blood, and her sister Tennessee on charges of publishing and distributing obscene materials. That's so stupid. The sisters were held in the Ludlow Street Jail for the next month. Whoa. Wow. Which was a place normally reserved for civil offenses, but which contained more hardened criminals as well. Ironically, the first female presidential candidate spent Election Day of 1872 in jail. <laughs> the arrest prevented Woodhull from attempting to vote in the 1872 presidential election, and it was won by incumbent Ulysses S. Grant. And although she was... <laughs> she was running against Ulysses? Yeah. I mean... It's, uh, it's, you yeah, know. She it, wasn't, but she was. It's a protest. She wasn't, but she was. Yes. If yes. she was actually able yes. to check off all those boxes where she became actually a real candidate, I think that she would have actually had a chance. Over 35, check. Not a, per- not a thing, but a fucking person. Check. But you know? Like only you had a chance if other women could vote. I know. I know. And not just That's that. That's another one of those check marks. Other non-religious women. But she was on a real, like... Fucking go get him, girl. She was a wild, wild yeah, woman. She was Ulysses, man. I can picture that and freaking posters. And although she had received encouragement from Susan B. Anthony and other suffragists, Anthony withdrew her support because Woodhull was too outspoken and just too radical for them at the time. You know what? Sometimes you need a little radical, all right? Not then. They, people were not into the radical in uh, Victorian times. It was not. You know, it was like, she did all this in a corset, mind you. Let's just... Love Remember it. that. I love it. Significant pictures of a bustle, a nice hat. It. Six months later, Blood, Woodhall, and Clayfin were acquitted on a technicality for publicizing Beecher's affair in their newspaper. It's fucking Beecher's, man. Those damn Beecher's. However, they paid nearly $500,000 oh. in bail and fines before finally being cleared of the charges. Combined? I, I hope that's not each. I don't know. Woodhull's oh, I, just, I just got the chills. <laughs> so bad. Ugh. Woodhull's target, though, was not the morality of the affair, but rather the hypocrisy that permitted powerful men to be sexually free, but denied such freedoms to women. As a consequence of this story in Woodhull's newspaper, Elizabeth Tilton's husband sued Reverend Henry Beecher for alienation of affection. So the husband of the woman who was having the affair with the preacher sued the preacher, saying basically that since you're banging my wife, she doesn't want to bang me. Beecher stood trial in 1875. He's banging other people too. Probably. Whatever. Damn preachers. Beecher stood trial in 1875 for adultery. In the proceeding that proved to be one of the most sensational legal episodes of the era, holding the attention of hundreds of thousands of Americans, though the trial did end in a hung jury. By that time, Colonel Blood had left the Woodhall Clayfin household, and he and Woodhall were divorced in 1876. Oh no, Blood! Blood is gone. I mean, look at everything that happened. She's a to you busy guys. woman. She's not dealing with your shit. I wonder why she has nine names. She's moving on. I mean, she was born with three, and then added another three. We're up to two. That's well, what I'm telling you. There's five. one more to come. At the time, the Weekly stopped publication permanently. Woodhull continued lecturing, now more about responsibility and sexuality within marriage. In 1877, the now bankrupt Victoria Woodhull and her sister Tenny left to start a new life in England. Upon Vanderbilt's death, though, his son and heir, William Henry Vanderbilt, gave a large amount of money to Woodhull. 
Many historians believe that this was a payoff to ensure that she would keep quiet about whatever the nature of her relationship was with the Commodore. She pregnant? Whether, uh, no. Whether they were having a sexual relationship or not, Woodhall took the money, took the money that was offered, and set up a new life in England. There she worked as a lecturer. Woodhall made her first public appearance as a lecturer at St. James Hall in London on December 4, 1877. Her lecture was called The Human Body, the Temple of God, a lecture which she had previously presented in the United States. Present at one of Woodhall's lectures was a wealthy banker named John Biddulph Martin. They began to see each other and were married on Halloween oh. of eighteen eighty-three. That's cool. His family clearly disapproved of the marriage. Well, I mean, because it was on Halloween. She's a bad girl. She's a bad. Do girl. you think that? Hold up. Do you think that pretty ha- but bad? No. Do you think the Halloween in well eighteen eighty-four was it? Eighteen eighty-three. Eighteen eighty-three. It was close. Eighteen eighty-three Halloween. Look it up. Was it on a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday traditionally, or was it like on a Tuesday and like, you know what, it's Halloween, let's get married anyway? I don't know. From then on, she was known as Victoria Woodhall Martin. Under that name, she published the magazine The Humanitarian from 1892 to 1901 and remained active in the British women's suffrage movement and various causes and worked to distance herself from her former radical ideas on sex and love. After her husband died in 1901, Woodhull Martin gave up publishing and retired to the country. Victoria Clayton Woodhull Blood Martin died on June 6th, 1927, at the age of 88. 1927? Yeah. That's not that far, like, long ago. I know. That's crazy. It's less than 100 years ago. Yeah. Victoria Woodhull was a popular and controversial figure in her day. In many ways, she was ahead of her time and was an important trailblazer for women in generations to follow. She advocated for equal education for women, women's right to vote, women's right to control their own health decisions. Above all, she criticized the Victorian ideal of a woman's place being first and foremost in the home. Right now, Woodhull is enjoying something of a resurgence, and a biopic called Victoria Woodhull is set to be released by Amazon with the Oscar winner Brie Larson. Oh, shut up. Attached as the producer and star. Captain Marvel. Uh-huh. And I have another. How old was she? When? When she, when she died in 1827. She was 88 when she died. Yeah. Because, like, there's so much talk about, like, you know, 1860s, 1870s, and I'm just, and then 1920s. She was very like, young when she was, like, I know. I, mean, I know. A mover and a shaker, you know? Like, so I'm going to leave you with the last thoughts on Victoria Woodhull, this badass lady. Vicky. With one last quote from her I am a free lover. I have an inalienable constitutional and natural right to love who I may, to love as long or short a period as I can, and to change that love every day, if I please. Can you imagine her today? Imagine what she would be into today. Yeah. Can just imagine her today. That's what I'm saying. I'm telling you, she was dropped off by Doctor Who. She makes no sense to have grown up where she, she did and to be who she was. Like, the, the thoughts that she had, the dreams that today. she had made no sense for her time. Like, love is love. Fucking go for it. With ever, Just amazing. She fell off a TARDIS. I'm telling you. She just didn't belong in that time. Well, we could use her right now, Vicky. Thank you. You know, that is the story of Victoria Woodhall. Just another notorious narrative. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, there are a couple of things that you can do to help us out. You can leave a positive review wherever you're listening now. 
You can also go to patreon.com forward slash notorious narratives, where you can access content that is exclusive for our patrons. And remember, keep it weird and never stop exploring.